Good morning. It's a good family day today. Welcome to Cedar Mill. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, and what do you think of those, these young, young whippersnappers we've got on staff these days? Too much. Anyway, I want to welcome you. If you're new with us, you picked a great day to be here. Um, if, if you'd like to get to know us or help us get to know you, a lot of things you can do, but one of the first easy steps is fill out the I'm New Here card. It's right in the pew rack in front of you. Just gives us information so we can connect with you, help you start to learn about our family and how to be a part of what's happening here at Cedar Mill. You can fill that out and drop it in the uh, offering bags when they go past, or you can turn it in at the Welcome Center on your way out. And with that, I'm going to invite our ushers forward to lead us in a time of giving. And as we worship God in that way, I've got a few sort of updates for you. First of all, on the first and third Sundays, um, we are having prayer available in the connect room right after the service. And I just want to encourage you again, take advantage of that. If you just need prayer for anything, there are people back there who'd love to talk with you, pray for you, whether that's a joy or a struggle or a hurt or a pain, or you just need someone to chat with, um, they would love to connect with you. As soon as worship starts after my sermon's over, you can slide back there. And then after the service is over, you can slide back there as well. So prayer available back in the connect room right back there today. Next, um, just want to give an update that Royal Family Kids Camp went well. Uh, we had, yeah, so good. It was our 18th year of camp, um, and that's pretty amazing. Of 18th year of, of putting on a one-week camp for kids who've been through struggle in the foster care system, some kids who've had some really tough stories, and they get just loved on for a week of fun and memories and joy, and uh, it's just a great, great time. 18th year of doing that. We had 49 kids this year, 83 full-time staff out at camp all week, and 409 people on the prayer team. Can I get an amen, Tom, for that? that and that is really the kind of like prayer firepower we need to pull off this week of camp. So again, if, if you are one of the people who prayed, especially if you're one of the people who served, thank you uh, for your time. God just did, as he always does, great things in our lives as we served, but also in the lives of the kids. And so uh, Tom and Karen for leading us for 18 straight years. Well done, well done. Also, so I say a quick word about our Guatemala team. A lot of you prayed for our team who went down for eight days to Guatemala. They have returned safely, um, were blessed by their trip, connected with the people of Sequil. Uh, God did amazing things in them and through them and the lives of the people from Sequil. We're going to just gonna mention that today because coming up in August, we're going to do a close-up about that trip, so you're going to get more information on that. But for all of you who prayed for that group, they had a wonderful trip, and God did what he always does when we go. And then last but not least, we're in this series on family, and one of our church family members, one of our church family missionaries, Paula Hammond, is heading off on a trip of her own. She's going to Haiti. Paula is a midwife, and she trains uh, traditional birth attendants in rural Haiti. That's what she'll be doing. These are people without a lot of training, without a lot of resources, often trying to kind of uh, deliver babies in the middle of the night with no light. And so what Paula does is she comes, she brings training, she brings the light of Jesus, and then she also actually brings like physical light, and she brings solar-powered flashlights so they can do things in the light. So there's light happening on multiple levels um, with Paula, and she goes, and she represents Jesus, and she represents our church. And so Paula, thank you for going. Um, we're going to pray for you as you head out. You don't seem nervous at all. You seem really excited. Are you nervous a little bit? A little bit nervous. So we're going to pray. I'm mostly excited that just God uses you, and thanks for being willing to go. So if you're sitting by Paula, Katie, throw a hand on that lady, and we'll, uh, we'll pray for her, and we'll pray for our service this morning if you join me. Lord, first of all, we thank you for the gift of inviting us into your work that we get to be a part of what you are doing in this world. Uh, thank you for using the people at camp this year, for the people in Guatemala. Thank you for using people in our church week after week who engage in ministry, who are representing you in the lives of people. And right now, God, we want to specifically pray for Paula as she goes out, um, that you'd use her, that you'd work through her, that you'd give her peace 
and patience and confidence and boldness um, and reminder that you are with her and guiding every step. And then I ask that, God, that you would use her to be a blessing in the lives of those folks and that she would come back blessed as well. And I know that will happen. So thank you, Jesus, for that. And now, Lord, we open our um, minds and hearts to your word, to what you might say to us today. Um, And we say, help us be the people, the families, and the church that you long for us to be. We pray all this in Jesus' name together. Amen. All right, this morning we are in week two of a series we are calling Family. Creative titling this time. And the goal of this series is really just to talk for a month about how so much happens in our lives as the result of our families. Because family is a powerful thing. God designed it that way. So much of the way we view the world, of how we think, of how we see ourselves, how we experience God, how we deal with success and struggle and conflict, how we instinctively walk through life is the result largely of our family experience. Has so much influence. And in this series, we're doing something kind of fun. We've got four different preachers. Four weeks, four different preachers, four different perspectives on family. Last week, Pastor Carl gave a tremendous message on the value and high calling of grandparenting. It was a message that I believe challenged some of our thinking about the last last stretch of life. And personally, I found Carl to be older even than I thought. I mean, wiser even than I thought. Um, No, in all seriousness, it was really a tremendous message, uh, a huge blessing, I think, for you, no matter what age you are. If you were not here and you missed it, please go back and listen. So, so much wisdom. Thank you, Carl, for that. It really was was a great, great Sunday. Um, It was a message about how our older generation has so much to offer. It was a challenge, I think, to finish out life well with years that are not just a holding pattern for death or a final chance for self-indulgence, but years that can be focused on becoming like Jesus and making him known, which is our mission together here as a church. That was last week. That was week one. It was our week on being old. This week, my message... It's about the depressing and sometimes crisis-inducing reality of being middle-aged. No, not really, but um, I am middle-aged, and you might be too. Let me help you decide. You'll know know you're middle-aged when you have an iPhone, but remember the long, tangled cord of your parents' home wall phone. You know you're middle-aged when 80s music is not oldies. You know you're middle-aged when, after you preach, half the congregation says, good job, kiddo, and the other half is quoting you on Insta. (laughs) You know you're middle-aged when, a late night out is now more like 10 o'clock instead of midnight. You know you're middle-aged when, you start to consider going on a walk, your daily exercise. (laughs) You know you're middle-aged when, you think maybe you should stretch before going on that walk. You know you're middle-aged when the music in Abercrombie and Fitch is suddenly annoying and much too loud. You know you're middle-aged when you can no longer lose six pounds in two days when you need to. And finally, the one my wife thought was the best, you know you're middle-aged when the number 8675309 is one you will never forget. (laughs) If you didn't think that was funny, then you're probably not (laughs) middle-aged. No, seriously, today I'm talking uh, not about being middle-aged, but I'm talking about family from the perspective of a father and a pastor. I'm just bringing my perspective as a, as a dad and as the pastor of our church to this, to this subject in trying to offer some thoughts that I found from the scriptures. Most of you know that Amy and I uh, currently have four kids. This is our crew. This is Team Teixeira as we like to call ourselves, Team T, right there. Um, I'm going to show some pictures of my crew, and if you thought Carl's grandkids were cute, you know. No amen on that, Carl? Come on. Anyway, uh, no, here's my clan. Skylar is our oldest. She's 14, 
She is a wonderful kid. She's going to be a freshman this year at this coming, this coming school year at Beaverton High School. Um, uh, just a joy of a first child. Our second is Dax. He's 11. He's going to be a middle schooler for the first time this coming year at Cedar Park. Um, and then we have Peyton. She's nine. She's our little creative. She's going to be a fourth grader. They're growing up. I remember when I introduced them when I first came, and they're teeny, teeny, and now they're getting big. Um, the first two are taller than my wife. Uh, and then our fourth, the newest member of our family, is Alex. He's seven. He's been with us for just over two months. He's going to be a second grader next year. And uh, for fun, both the pictures I put up of Alex this year came from Royal Family Kids Camp. So he's there with grandma and grandpa, Dave and Peggy, and then there he is on the slip and slide, styling out as uh, the Teixeira clan does. And um, I'll just say that it was a really, really wonderful blessing to not, I've been at camp, I figured it out. This, this was actually my 10th year doing Royal Family, but this was the first time I ever went home with a kid who'd been at camp. And to see the impact um, that, really, the, that really happens, uh, I can't talk about it too much longer. I'll get emotional, but it, well done, church. So, um, then there's, of course, my wife. Um, this is Amy and I hiking in, up in the uh, Olympic uh, Peninsula uh, last summer, and this is us recently at the Paul Simon concert. Amy and I have known each other for, uh, since we were sophomores in high school. Um, we will be married for 20 years this December, um, which... Which, Luke, is a real accomplishment. Where is he? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, uh, no, Amy and I, um, I'm just blessed to have a wonderful wife who is so authentic and loyal and loves the Lord. I will say this. Um, we have a great family, but we are a real family. We have a great marriage, but we have a real marriage. Unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, Pastors and their families are not exempt from all the struggles that all of the rest of you face in this world. And so we have a great family, but we have some of the same struggles and challenges and difficulties in this world that you have. So it looks great on the pictures and just like yours look good on Facebook, um, but there are difficult times and there are hard times and there are struggles in our lives just like yours. And at the same time, God is good. We have a great family. And so today I want to talk about this, how we as a church family of families raise our kids to be world changers for Jesus. Seven thoughts. I have seven thoughts today. I have never ever preached a seven-point sermon before, but I think Carl did eight last week, and if he can do eight, I can do seven. Um, here we go. We better get moving. If we want our children to be world changers for Jesus, we must, one, embrace the crucial role of family in faith development. This is from Psalm 127. These are the words of God. Do you not see that children are God's best gift, the fruit of the womb, his generous legacy? Like a warrior's fistful of arrows are the children of a vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you parents with your quivers full of children. Your enemies don't stand a chance against you. You'll sweep them right off your doorstep. You see, the imagery the author of this psalm builds on here is this idea that in the same way a warrior can influence a battle from a distance with his or her arrows, right? You can, be, you can be away from the fight and you can still have a major impact with your arrows. The same is true for a family with children. We too can influence our world from a distance and have tremendous impact for the kingdom of God through our Children, years from now, when we're gone, the kingdom impact of our lives can still be on the move if we have invested in the next generation. In fact, for some of you in here, the greatest contribution you'll make to the cause of Jesus is not something you'll do, but someone you'll raise. I'll say that again. For some of you in here, the greatest contribution you'll make to the cause of Jesus is not something you'll do, but someone you'll raise. And I pray that it will be so. Friends, Carl said it last week. If we want to have lasting impact for the kingdom of God, we must pass our faith on to the next generation. And friends, this first and foremost happens in the family. 
A number of years ago, George Barna conducted a nationwide survey, and what he did was he polled thousands of 20-somethings across the nation, and he, he looked for 20-somethings who were living in a deeply connected relationship with Jesus and doing significant things for his kingdom. He looked for 20-somethings with an on-fire faith in God. And he interviewed them, and the crux of his mission was this, to find out what most influenced their deep, passionate, world-changing faith. What was it that helped them become who they were today? Any guesses on what was far and away the number one most influential thing in the lives of these on fire for Christ young people? Number one most influential thing was? The height of their pastor, you're right. No, it was mom. Statistically, mom has more influence on a child's faith than anyone else. And yet, in a separate survey, here's what Barna found. Barna, in a separate survey, interviewed church kids. Kids who go to church. Not the general public, not all kids. These are specifically kids that go to church, and specifically evangelical churches. And here's what he found. The percentage of church youth who view their mom as very religious, take a guess. 48%, less than half. The percentage of youth who have talked to mom about faith, who've had a conversation, these are church kids again, kids in church, percentage of church kids who've had a conversation, at least one, with their mom about faith. Survey says... 28%. Friends, the responsibility and opportunity involved with being a mother is such a tremendous one. And in the church, it's why this role will always be and deserves honor and respect. We love you, we honor you, we respect you moms. Moms, can I encourage you today? I know you have a tedious, difficult, often thankless job, but what you are doing is so very important. And I know The risk of a message like this is that some of you in here, most of you in here, moms, if I know you well, you feel like failures. You feel like I'm not doing enough. I haven't done enough. You blame yourself for what's happening with your kids or for what's not happening with your kids and you carry that and you feel like it's maybe too late, some of you. And I wanna encourage you with this. Remember who your God is. Remember who our God is. He is a God who loves to take the imperfect and the broken and the messed up things and people of this world and redeem them for his glory and for our good. So do not let the enemy feed you lies this morning about guilt and shame. That is not what this message is about. That is not what the Lord wants for you. God's message for you today is this. Moms, you have the, the potential to have tremendous influence positively in the faith lives of your kids. And no matter how old they are, no matter where you are in life, you still have the chance to influence your kids for Jesus. It is not too late and it is never too late. See last week's message. Then second on the list is, of course, Second most influential is dad. The percentage of church youth who viewed their dad as very religious, 23%. Less than a quarter. The percentage, and here's where it gets real, real challenging. The percentage of church youth who have talked to dad about faith, who've had a conversation with their father about Jesus, 13%. Dads, let me just ask you this morning, please do not check out on this one. I know you're busy. I know this is uncomfortable for many of you. I know that it wasn't modeled for you probably by your father. But let me ask you to fight for this. Push yourself to be the best dad you can be and push yourself to be a father that shares Jesus with his kids. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be perfect. Just engage the conversation. Your kids are begging you to take the lead on this. Will it be easy? Will you know everything they ask? Will you find yourself in places that are uncomfortable? Sure you you will. 
You absolutely will. And yet, it is so worth it. This morning, I've got a resource for you. And I know that the moms are going to say, we didn't have a resource for us. Well, I know I didn't. I didn't have a resource for moms, but I have one for dads. So, you know, (laughs) it's how it goes. Life's not fair. Um, (laughs) Fair ended in the garden. I I say that to my kids all the time. Fair ended in the garden, you know. At any rate, um, that's really good parenting right there. Uh, This little book, and I know as soon as I say I have a book for you, because I know the stats on the percentage of men that will read a book after high school, it's not pretty. And so I know when I recommend a book, it's like, oh, that's never going to happen. Look at this book. Look at this book, seriously. It's a leaflet. That's what it is. It's it's like a, you know, it's a small high school paper put into, um, you know, in between some pages. Pastor John said, you can read this book in one trip to the restroom, you know, like that's the deal. That's how attainable this whole deal is right here. And it's just a teeny little book. It's called You Have What It Takes, What Every Father Needs to Know. It's by John Eldridge. Um, Someone gave me this book when I was a young dad, maybe right after Skylar was born, and I read it, and it's not comprehensive. It's not everything you need to know about raising your kids to follow Jesus, but I'm telling you, he has some nuggets in here that are so very rich and good, and they've shaped me, and they've shaped me as a father. I think they've made me a better father for my kids, my, my, son and, my sons and my daughters. And, um, and I'll say this about it. Uh, two bucks. They're at the Welcome Center today. Two bucks. Um, actually, John just informed me in between services that we almost sold out after first service. <laughs> so we don't have them today. But we're going to get them for next week. So... Um, you know, I'll, I'll have, we'll have 200 more copies next week at the Welcome Center if you want one for two bucks. Come ready to read it. It's really good. There was a, a young woman in my office this week. Here's a cool story. Uh, I had a meeting with this young woman, part of our young adults ministry. She came into my office. She's sitting there. I was late for our meeting. And so this book was sitting on the coffee table in my office. She picked it up and started reading it. And, and when I got there, she said to me, this is great. This is really good. And when a young woman is saying, this is exactly what dads need to hear, you know it's good stuff. So you have what it takes, John Eldridge, next week. Look forward to it. Okay, there it is. That's it. Sales pitch over. Third, number, third most influential thing or person in the lives of On Fire for Jesus young people is, guess? No. Pastor. Not Not youth pastor. Youth pastor is way down the list. (laughs) Pastor is the number third. And and now all of a sudden you're really concerned for our kids, aren't you? No. Um, And I'll just say something quickly about this. I will say um, I'm the kind of person that tries really hard not to take myself too seriously. But I do take being a pastor and being the pastor of this church and being a follower of Jesus very seriously. And I want you to hear this from me. Um, I am still fighting for it. And what I mean by that is, I'm not just up here preaching sermons and then going home and doing my thing. I'm preaching to myself every week. I'm trying to grow in Christ. I'm trying to follow Jesus in a way that will influence our kids to be world changers for him. And I want you to hear that from me, that I know I am far from perfect. Talk to my wife. She'll be in the lobby after. But... um, (laughs) But this is something I take super seriously. And I want this to be a place where kids uh, see authenticity and growth and life and uh, transformation, um, even in their pastor. And so I want to follow in Carl's footsteps and Al Wallen's footsteps before his, and I want to finish well here. So I take that really seriously. Actually, I'll say one more thing. Most of the time when I share about myself from the front, I'm careful to share about stuff that I don't do well. I hope you hear that from me because... There's a lot of examples, but uh, this, in the last number of weeks, our staff broke up into some small groups, and we did some like, life together, and some of these, these groups where we kind of dug in together, and at the very end of that, there was this time where each person in the group got affirmed by the other people in the group, which is always a really rich experience, and so when it was my turn to be affirmed, everyone was kind of sharing nice things about me, which feels great, right? But the, the number, the most complimentary uh, thing that was said about me was said, by Melissa Skeels, who's been here forever, and she said this. She said, you are the same person in the pulpit as you are in the office. And I said, that, if that's really true, then thank you, Jesus. Um, and I mostly credit my wife, who would not let me be anything other than that. But um, So I'm fighting for it. I want you to know. Fourth most influential, right behind the pastor, is 
Grandma and grandpa, the grandparents, and I think we covered that fairly well in last week's 52-minute sermon. <laughs> that was excellent. Um, so three of the top four most influential people in the spiritual growth of our kids are family members, friends. This is so important because we live in a society that loves to outsource we outsource almost everything, and we outsource so often our kids. Think about it. If you want your kids to play piano, what do you do? You send them to a piano teacher. If you want your kids to play soccer, you put them on a team. You send them to a coach. If you want your kids to do drama, you sign them up for Journey Theater Arts. If you want them to do karate or dance, or for most of us, even school, we send them to someone else to train them. Unfortunately, faith does not work this way. You cannot outsource the faith life and growth of your children. It does not work. Listen to what Chuck Swindoll has to say. And if you don't know who Chuck Swindoll is, you are not yet middle-aged. <laughs> the family is the place where principles are hammered and honed on the anvil of everyday living. In other words... It is the place where character is taught and caught. It is where we learn that we are loved and cared for. It is where we learn that we have worth and have something to contribute. It's, it should be where we learn that we can be forgiven when we have failed. It is where family members show one another what God is like and how he relates to us. It is where children learn obedience so that they will understand what it means to obey God. Home is where we learn who God is and learn to love him. Home is where we learn who we are and who others are. It's where we learn to live unselfishly with other people, taking them into consideration. All of this and much, much more happens primarily within the family. Friends, if we want our children to be world changers for Jesus, we must never forget and we must embrace the crucial role of family and faith development. That's point one. Here we go, point two. The other points are going to be much shorter. I know you're nervous. I'll be at least 51 minutes to beat Carl by a minute. No. Um, point two, if we want our children to be world changers for Jesus, we must find a church family to partner with. Friends, hear me clearly on this one. We can't do it for you, but we will partner with you. Earlier we talked about the top four most frequent influences in the faith life of a, of a person. Do you know what number five and number six are? Number five, Sunday school. Very good, Judy. Number six, youth group. And you have to understand that within those two terms, it's primarily about relationship. It's about relationship that our young people are, are finding in those places, relationship with other students, but also relationship with other caring adults. Friends, let me just say for a second how excited I am about our next generation team here at Cedar Mill. I mean, the team of people that we call Next Gen, which is our children's ministry, our middle school, our high school, all the way up through young adults, talk about an all-star team. This team is, is led by Paul Richter, who is probably one of the most big-hearted, Jesus-loving men I have ever met in my life. His beloved wife, Bethany, and Sarah Fitzgerald share the role of pastoring and leading our children's team. You got a chance to meet Luke and Danica, Luke heading up our middle school ministry. Talk about a guy who connects with middle school kids, who feels safe for middle school kids. Um, and then Nick and Allison, of course, along with Josh Fagerberg, who does some worship stuff, and Hannah, who just came on board with some admin stuff. Friends, there is no better team in the nation. I have a kid in each one of those ministries, one of my own kids. I have two in the children, one in middle school, one in high school. I wouldn't put them anywhere else. If you are looking for a church to partner with to help you raise your kids to follow and love Jesus Christ, you have found the place. And we are 100% committed to it. And we have a lot of fun. <laughs> Um, we like doing it. We love the ministry that these people are doing. Uh, Nick and Luke, who um, are like kind of scarily like 
collaborative, and actually, uh, they're doing a thing this summer where they're inviting all of our middle school and high school kids on Wednesday nights to this big block party out front. And they do this kind of big block party thing, and then they, they share about Jesus, and they have some worship, and they say, bring your friends, and it's going to be this really, it's going to be a really good time, and you're going to grow in Christ. Awesome. Um, and just because they're millennials, they put together one afternoon this little promo video and they showed it to me and I thought it was so hilarious that I wanted you to see it. This is the promo video for the block party that's happening out in front of our church every Wednesday for the next five weeks. Here it is, check this out. Well, it's up to you, know you. I just want to invite all of the high schoolers out to our very first ever block party this Wednesday, the front park along Cedarville. We hope to see you there. Hey, Nick, I overheard you talking, and uh, I was thinking we should invite the middle schoolers. Did we just become best friends? I think so. Yeah, I totally want to be a high school pastor again. That's so fun. At any rate, um, here's the message. Get involved in our next-gen ministries. Involve your kids. Make it a priority. I know they're busy. Make church ministry a priority for them, and then you make it a priority too. Get involved in some way. Support our students and our children. And by the way, the top... We've now kind of revealed the top six faith influences in the lives of on-fire kids. Guess what number seven is? Any guesses? Number seven is church camp. This is one that we often miss. The power of a week of camp, right? The power of going to to Bible camp or church camp and what happens in one week of just being away from your life and with your friends and what God can do in that time. And we are sending our kids in a few weeks to Camp Tadmore. Our high school kids that same week are going to CIY Move down at Oregon State University. These are powerful experiences that we need to take more of an advantage of. And so I'll just say this to you. If you have kids, make those weeks a priority. Um, If not this year, look ahead to next year already and make that a priority. It is highly influential in the faith, growth, and development of our kids to send them to summer camp with our church. Also, it's expensive. If you're a parent and you need a scholarship, we will help you. We do not want finances to be an obstacle. If you're someone with resources and you want to scholarship a kid or sponsor a kid to go, we would love that. So consider that as well. I'll make no apologies about asking for those dollars. God will use those dollars in the lives of our young people. If we want our children to be world changers for Jesus, we must find a church family to partner with. Number three, we must be ruthlessly aware of the idols that tempt our families. You ever heard of the Ten Commandments before? Commandment one, have no other gods before me. Commandment two goes like this. This is from Deuteronomy 5. No carved gods of any size, shape, or form of anything whatever, whether of things that fly or walk or swim. Don't bow down to them and don't serve them. No idols. Don't worship anything else. Don't worship anything else in your life other than God. And then right in the middle of commandment two, Moses, who wrote this, does this little like tangent, and he says a few extra words. Here's what he says. He says, don't bow down to them and don't serve them because I am your God, your God, and I'm a most jealous God. I hold parents responsible for any sins they pass on to their children, to the third, and yes, even fourth generation, but I'm lovingly loyal to the thousands who love me and keep my commandments. What's being talked about here are idols, Something we worship, anything we worship or value more than we worship or value God. And what Moses is saying here in commandment number two is don't have any of those. Be real careful about those. And then he talks about the family and passing them down from generation to generation. Here's why I think that is. Idols, idols are very contagious Idols have a tendency to get passed down from parents to children to children to children. That's why Moses includes this little kind of 
tangent right here in commandment two. He's saying be real careful about the idols in your life because they're contagious and your kids will catch your idols. Maybe your family is tempted with the idol of financial security or the idol of being successful or the idol of achievement or the idol of reputation and what people think of you or the idol of looking physically a certain way. All sorts of idols out there that are begging and longing for us to worship them. And friends, kids, they have this innate way of figuring out what matters most. What's really important? What is worshipped? They have this way of sort of honing in on, this is what matters most in my family. This is what's really important to my mom and dad. And maybe they wouldn't even voice it, but they feel it. And oftentimes, friends, in spite of even what we say, our kids can pick up what we care about more than anything else. And friends, that's God, what God says is, That stuff is so contagious. The stuff that you care about more than you care about God, chances are your kids are going to catch that stuff. So be ruthlessly aware of the idols that tempt you, that tempt your family. Be ruthlessly aware of the things that you are tempted to value more than God himself and being one of his followers. Because your kid, you cannot hide those things from your kids. They see it and they will catch it. If we want our children to be world changers for Jesus, we must be ruthlessly aware of the idols that tempt our families. Number four, we must talk about and live for God constantly. This cannot just be a Sunday thing. This cannot be a church thing. This is from Deuteronomy chapter six. This is the, the, the chapter right after the Ten Commandments. Is it? section of scripture called Shema. It's considered to be probably the central text of the Old Testament. It goes like this. Maybe you've heard these words before. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. That word impress is a a really strong word. It means like cut into them, literally. It means teach them diligently about these things. Then he goes on. He says, talk about them. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. He's so emphatic about this. It's not just about listening. This is not just about even doing. This is about talking back to the percentage of kids who've had a faith conversation with mom or dad. Talk about these things. Let me ask you, how often do you talk about God in your home, with your spouse, with your kids? Is he a regular source of conversation? At home, we're told, and on the road. That means in your private life and your public life. When you go to bed and when you get up. In other words, there is not a single minute of your life that God does not want to influence. He even wants to influence and be a part of your sleeping. Next he says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. On your head and on your hands. That means what you're thinking inside and how you actually act outside. God wants all of it. He wants to influence your thought process, your thinking, your emotions, your feeling. And he also wants that to translate into your actions, into your doing. And he wants your kids to see this. That everything you're thinking about is influenced by God. That everything you do is influenced by God. Write the laws on the doorposts of your home. Like, above everything else in our family, we honor and serve the Lord. But then he says, write it on the gates of the city. This means don't just apply your relationship with Christ to your house, to your home, to your family. It means apply it to your economic thoughts, to your philosophy on economics in our nation. It means apply it to your political thinking. It means apply it to your public life and your social life. In other words, there is no area of life that God does not want to infect 
And he says, I am a jealous God. That, means, that ultimately means this. I want it all. I want every part of you. And not because he's jealous like we're jealous, but because he knows that's what's best for us. I want all of you because for you to have all of me is what's best for you. And he knows, friends, this. Our kids are seeing every area of our lives. You see, we can compartmentalize ourselves off from a lot of people, but do you know who sees all of me? Everything about me, almost all of who I am? My wife and kids. Can't hide from them, right? Again, here's what Barna Research says. This is a quote from, from Barna after his research. Our research suggests that behavioral modeling is the most powerful component in a parent's efforts to influence a child. It appears that as our society becomes increasingly secular, our children are developing a hypocrisy detector, an internal sensitivity to actions, attitudes, values, and beliefs that are inherently contradictory to words that have been uttered as instructions. When an inconsistency, inconsistency is identified, a child is prone to two things. One, ignore the instruction itself, and two, conclude that there is no specific command that they must obey. Here's Barna's words. If you are struggling with particular aspects of raising your child, especially in relation to the faith dimension, step back and evaluate your own behavior. You may discover that while you are able to voice the appropriate concepts to your young ones, your, your behavior negates those words. The do as I say and not as I do approach is increasingly incompatible with effective influence upon children. And is that a new reality? No, it is not. It goes all the way back to the time of Moses. If we want our children to be world changers for Jesus, we must talk about and live for God consistently. Five, we must empower them to use their gifts now. Now, emphasis now. Um, there's a verse in 1 Timothy where Paul is speaking to Timothy. Timothy's this young man. Paul's kind of a father figure to him. He mentors him. Timothy is like kind of jumps into a pretty difficult ministry role in context. And, and this is what Paul says. He says, Timothy you're young, don't worry about it. Let the older people handle it. Step aside, your day will come. Not what he says. He says this. I'll read it straight from the scriptures. This is from the message. He says this to Timothy. He says, get the word out. Teach all these things and don't let anyone put you down because you're young. Teach believers with your life, by word, by demeanor, by love, by faith, by integrity. Stay at your post, reading scripture, giving counsel, teaching and that special gift of ministry you were given when the leaders of the church laid hands on you and prayed, keep that dusted off and in use. In other words, Timothy, you've got gifts, use them. You see, Paul says this, Timothy, you are a young man, but you are not the church of tomorrow. You are the church of today, right now. God wants and can and will use you. Friends, this must be the message we are offering our kids. And I have to say, I think we at Cedar Mill do a pretty good job here, but we can do better. Let's continue to do better. Our kids need ministry now. Not someday, now. If we want our children to be world changers for Jesus, we must empower them to use their gifts now. Number six, we must help them bring God into the real life struggles of their world. This is Psalm 127 again. This is a different translation than I read earlier. This is NIV. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. And listen to this last line. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. Kind of a weird way of concluding that <laughs> until you understand it. You see, in the ancient world, the city gate was the place where business was conducted. It's the place where court was held and judgments, judgments were made and where people often met their adversaries. This is where the pressing, real, difficult issues of life were hashed out at the city gates. And friends, one thing I'm increasingly convinced of is that we have to be aware of what those issues are for our kids and we must speak into them. You see, God wants to be a part of the conversation. No, scratch that. He wants to drive the conversation. 
So the question for us is this, what are they facing? What are their adversaries? What are they dealing with? And what does God have to say about it? I'm increasingly convinced that we as a church must do a better job of talking about what our world is talking about. Because God wants a say on what our world is talking about. He's got some good thoughts. He created the world. This is why, for example, a couple of weeks ago in our message on David and Bathsheba, I spent some time talking about sex. It made a lot of you uncomfortable, and I know this because you told me that you were uncomfortable. And yet, friends, I did it because this is something our kids are dealing with it, and God does not want to be silent on the matter. And so his bride, his church, should not be either. As it pertains to that, I want to make a recommendation. Uh, There's a short film out on Netflix right now called The Heart of Man. Again, it's on Netflix. It's called The Heart of Man. It was recommended to me by a few different people in this church, Joey being one of them. And um, I watched it, and it is excellent. And so I want to challenge, it's about God, and it's about sex, and it's, it's really well done. Um, and so I want to challenge you to watch that film. Uh, parents, watch it without your kids first, and you can make a decision for them. Uh, I think it'd be really great for at least high school kids but you can decide for your kids. Um, the heart of man. So I know, I now I've given you a reading assignment and a watching assignment in one message. And I hope you take, both, take me up on both because they're both good. So the heart of man, watch that. All right, last point here, last point. Deuteronomy chapter six again. Um, Deuteronomy chapter six is the Shema. It's, it's you know, uh, impress these things on your children. Talk about it on the road, and when you lie down, you wake up, right? This is right after the Ten Commandments. Here are the Ten Commandments, and then talk about these commandments with your kids and impress these commandments like, on them and on their lives, on the home and on the road and all that stuff. And then right after that, at the end of chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, is verse 20. And in verse 20, a son asks a father a question. And, and what the passage is getting at, and Moses does this in such a wonderful way, he's just a... Uh, an amazing writer. I guess the Holy Spirit must have inspired him. Um, what, he, what the passage says is this. Someday, your kids will ask you why. Someday, your kids will say, why? Why do we follow God? Why do we obey his commands? Why do we live our lives for him? And this will happen at various ages, right? Some of you have kids who started asking why when they were like three. For others of you, it didn't happen until they were in middle school or high school or maybe even college. But at some point, kids are going to say, why? Why follow God? Why obey the commandments? Why give our lives to him? And what's interesting about Deuteronomy 6 is the answer. Because the answer that the father gives is not because God is God and he said so. The answer is not so that you can be a good person. The answer is not because it's the right thing to do. The answer is not even because it's in the Bible. Not the answer. The answer the father gives, in this case to his son, but also I would assume to his daughter, is a story of amazing grace. The answer is a story of a God who sets his people free from slavery and bondage. The answer is, son, daughter, we follow God and obey his commands and give our lives to him because God is merciful and gracious and he has poured his amazing love out into our lives. Friends, let me give you the New Testament version of the Deuteronomy 6 answer. God demonstrates his own love for us in this While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, friends, if we want our children to be world changers for Jesus, we must constantly fuel them with the gospel. You see, we are not after behavior modification. We are not after religion. We are not after rule following. We are not after kids who are trying as hard as they possibly can to be good enough for God. That is not who we are and it is not what we're about. We 
are after kids who understand more than anything God's great love for them. Who understand deeply God's great love for them. They understand it so deeply and so fully that they are transformed by God's great love for them. Not after, not after you've done this or after you've performed that or if you'll do this, then God that. No, while you were yet a sinner, God loves you. He loved you and he gave his son for you. He gave his life for you. You see, friends, we are after kids who, whose lives are motivated and driven and fueled by the gospel because religion may last for a while, but it will peter out. You might have a really good rule-following kid, but I guarantee you, if at the foundation of that, uh, of that child's life, if the foundation is not the gospel, at some point they'll get sick and tired of the rules, just like you did. And so, friends, we must be a church that fuels our kids with the gospel, that sets them on the foundation of the good news that while they were yet sinners, Christ died and loves them, that God loves them more than they can possibly imagine. That's why every single week in this church, we conclude our service with this meal. It seems so routine. We do it every week, and I know that there's such a temptation to just go through the motions, and, and I want to just beg you again, don't do it. Don't just go through the motions. What we're saying and declaring again this week is the foundation of our lives, the foundation of our faith, the foundation, the foundation we long for our kids to have is this truth. God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, that his body was broken, that his blood was shed, that you might be restored in right relationship with God. And when you understand the, the massive amount of love that was poured out for you on that cross, it'll change your life. And it'll fuel you to be the person God wants you to be. And you know who needs to hear that news? Again, not just our kids, but us too. Let's be gospel people who offer the gospel to our kids. And so this morning... I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to come to the table. And because this is a family series, we decided that we're going to do the Lord's Supper as a family. And so this morning, make your way to one of the tables near you. Take the bread, take the cup, get back to your seat. Hold on to it. We're going to receive the elements together in just a moment. So I'm going to pray. Tables will be open. We'll receive the elements in just a moment. Father, this morning, we declare again that we long to be a church that raises up a generation of kids passionate for you, living for you, changing the world for you. Lord, we know we cannot do this on our own. And we know, God, that we're tempted to sort of try and manipulate that to happen in our own strength. And so we just confess and say, may we be gospel-fueled people. May our kids reject religion but receive your love and grace in their lives and may it change them in the same way, Lord, that we long for it to change us. And so as we come to take this meal, uh, remind us, remind us of who we are. Remind us that we're your kids. We love you. We thank you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.